Chapter 1, La Florida, 1863. Not again! The sound of it boomed across the small clearing and seemed to rattle the palmetto trees just beyond. A startled rabbit jumped straight upward and then bounded off into the brush. They done it again! This second outburst caused a flight of crows to change course and shriek loudly in protest. Tobias McIvy kicked at the dry dirt with his worn, brogan shoe. His black-bearded face showed sweat beneath the protection of a wide-brimmed felt hat, and his slim, six-foot frame was dressed in a pair of badly faded overalls. Just then, Zechariah McIvy came out of the brush, running as fast as his six-year-old legs would carry him. He scurried through the split-rail fence and shouted, What's the matter, Papa? What is it? Them wild hogs done pushed through the fence again and got into the garden. Just look at that. Everything I planted is rooted up, and I ain't got no more seeds. Guess we'll have to eat acorns this winter right alongside the squirrels. From the looks of this mess, them hogs ain't been gone here for more than a half hour. Maybe we can get at least some of the meat out of it. Run, fetch my shotgun while I fix the fence and see if I can save anything. Yes, sir, Papa. I'll run and fetch it and be back real soon. Tobias was on his knees, trying to straighten a collard plant when the boy returned. He staggered as he half-carried and half-dragged a double-barrel, ten-gauge shotgun that looked to be as long as the trunk of a cabbage palm. He also had a shell sack around his neck. Tobias took the shotgun and lifted it to his right shoulder, and then... Zek followed as the thin man left the garden and followed a trail southward in the thick woods. Tobias studied the tracks carefully, and then he said, Looks to be about six or seven of them. They're heading for the creek to wash down my vegetables. You be careful of snakes. In this heat, they'll be laying up under bushes. I wish them hogs would eat snakes like they're supposed to and leave the garden alone. They moved silently past a thick, stand of hickory trees. Then the man motioned for the boy to stop. You be real quiet from here on, he cautioned. They're just up ahead. We don't want to come on them sudden like and have them run, have them turn on us. Then you'd really learn how to shimmy up a tree in a hurry. Once again, they moved forward, slowly, the shotgun now pointing to the ground. Tobias suddenly stopped and lifted the gun to his shoulder. Fifty feet ahead, the seven hogs came out of a clump of palmetto and faced him. All were boars, and each had tusks that formed a complete circle. The hogs looked ready to charge when Tobias pulled the trigger, sending forth a tremendous boom, followed by a thick cloud of smoke and fire. For a moment, neither man nor boy could see through the smoke, and the sound of animals running frantically overwhelmed the echo of the shotgun. Then the wind whisked, the gray caught away, and before them one boar ran in a close circle, the entire top of its head missing, blood spewing over the ground in a flood. Then the boar fell to the ground, kicked wildly for a moment, and lay still. Tobias said, You see where I shot him, Zek? Right in the head. You gut shoot a wild boar and he'll run a hundred yards after he's hit and tear your leg off with them tusks. Always shoot him in the head so he can't see you and come after you. You best take note of this. 
Yes, sir, Papa, the boy said, his voice quivering. The sight of so much blood was making him sick. He forced himself to watch as his father slit the boar's throat to make sure it was dead. Tobias then ran the knife blade down the hog's stomach, dumping the entrails onto the ground. He said, There's my collards right in his belly. He won't eat nothing of ours no more. He's a big one, over 200 pounds, and he's sure too heavy for me to tote back to the house. You wait here while I go and get one of the oxen. Then we'll drag him back. The boy sat down reluctantly beside the bloody carcass, and the man walked away quickly. Tobias McIvy was 30 years old and had been in the Florida scrub for five years. He had come south of Georgia in 1858. In his horse-drawn wagon, there was a sack of corn and a sack of sweet potatoes, a few packets of seeds, a shotgun, and a few shells, a frying pan, several pewter dishes and forks, and a cast-iron pot. There were also the tools he would need to clear the land and build a house. Two chopping axes, a broad axe foot adze, cross-cut saw, auger bite, a fro, and a drawing knife. His wife, Emma, five years younger than he, held the baby as gently as possible as the wagon bounced over an old Indian trail that skirted to the east of the Okefenokee Swamp and then turned due south. Tobias had owned 40 acres of red Georgia clay, which he tried to farm and failed. When he sold the cabin and land, he had enough money to buy only what was in the wagon. When they crossed into Florida and reached Fernandina, Tobias traded his horses for a pair of oxen, which Zek named Tuck and Buck. Included in the trade was a guinea cow, a strange-looking little Spanish animal with a body that stood only one foot from the ground. But she would provide milk for all of them. The rumble of a coming civil war had already been felt in Georgia when Tobias left the Clay Hills and headed south to seek a new life in an unknown land. He knew it was just a matter of time. He also thought the war would not affect Florida as it would Georgia. And if he went into the eastern scrub area, he would be left alone for a long time. Perhaps forever. There was nothing in the Florida wilderness worth fighting over. And his guess had been right. The war thus far touched only the coastal areas of the state, and because his homestead was so isolated, he knew little of what was happening. Occasionally, a stranger would drift by and give him the news. He would also hear of the war when he made trips to a small settlement on the St. John's River to trade animal hides for supplies. The first two years in Florida had been a time of near starvation. He cleared a garden and planted his precious seeds, but the poor sandy soil offered him little in return. And the wild animals were a constant problem. When plants did break through into the sunlight, deer, turkey, and hogs were plentiful in the woods, but shells were so hard to come by that he could only kill when he had to. Also, during the first year, panthers killed the guinea cow and left only a pile of shattered bones. During this time, they lived in a lean-to, made of pine limbs and palmetto thatch. There was nothing to ward off the summer mosquitoes and the roaming rattlesnakes, and the rain, and the biting winter cold. Emma feared for the safety of the baby, and they finally made a, crusk, a crude hammock so that she could at least keep him off the ground. 
In the second year, Tobias started building the house, cutting the logs in a nearby hammock and dragging them to the site with the oxen, shaping the logs and lumber by hand, building a wall one torturous foot at a time. The roof was cypress shingles and devoting what time he could to produce them. He made 25 each day. It took more than 500 to build the roof. More than a year of sweat and pain went into the rugged structure before it was complete enough for them to move inside. Yet ahead of him was the task of building beds and tables and chairs and completing the mud and stone fireplace. There were many times when Tobias thought otherwise, but they did survive. He learned many things by trial and error, and passing strangers told him of others. He learned that he could plant a wide-grained rice in rows on sandy ridges and that it would grow without irrigation, depending solely on the natural elements. Some of the seed he had been given had been given to him by a family heading south in an oxen caravan. When the first crop came in, they whisked off the stalks by hand and then beat them inside a wooden barrel, catching the grains in a cloth sack. He also found that nothing would grow on the pine ridges but that many food plants would survive in the hammock ground, and after the second year, he moved his garden away from the house area into a nearby hammock. A man in the St. John's settlement told him that 20 miles to the west, there was a herd of wild cows. They were too wild for anyone to ever catch without dogs and horse, but in one grazing area, they had littered the ground with manure. Tobias went there with his wagon and brought back a load of manure for the garden and each spring he would return for another load of the life-giving fertilizer. Gradually, he made chairs from sturdy oak and wove cane bottoms onto them, and he fashioned a table from cypress. He trapped enough raccoons to trade their furs for a coal oil lamp so that they could have light at night. Brooms were made from sage straw, soap from animal fat, and lye. Meat was preserved by smoking, and what few vegetables they did harvest were canned or dried for the winter. Emma learned to make flour from cattail roots, and they used wild honey as a substitute for sugar. What they all missed most were milk and butter, and there was no substitute for them. He vowed some day that he would own another milk cow, and this time he would protect her better. The one thing Tobias feared the most was the abundance of predators that roamed the land. Bears, panthers, and wolves. Nothing was safe from them, and he dared not to go into the woods without the shotgun. Darkness was when the predators roamed freely, and he kept the oxen locked inside the small barn each night, even during the hottest part of summer. Tobias came in the clearing, leading the ox, with the hog tied behind with a rope. Zek was riding the lumbering animal, kicking his feet into its sides and whooping loudly. The ox paid no heed to the boy as it ambled to the side of the house. Emma came outside at the sound of the commotion. She was a robust woman dressed in an ankle-length gingham dress and high-topped lace shoes patched with deer hide. Almost as tall as Tobias, she was big-boned and brawny, and her raven-black hair was tied in a bun. Before marrying Tobias, she spent her youthful days in cotton fields where her father worked as a sharecropper, and she knew work from the moment she was strong enough to carry a water bucket from well to kitchen. 
She was the personification of strength, and it affected all those around her. Emma looked at the hog and said, He's big, but he sure is scrawny. Not an ounce of fat for lard. I'll have to boil him down good before I can do anything with him, else he'll be as tough as shoe leather. Maybe we can grind up some for sausage. Slice off a few thin strips of the loin and I'll fry it for supper. Emma turned and went back inside the house, as Tobias said. Put old Tuck in the barn, son. I'll start the fire. First, he would scald the hog in a huge black pot. Then, he would scrape the hide and cut the meat into sections. What they could not eat before it spoiled would be cured in the smokehouse Tobias had built beside the barn. The skin Emma would make into cracklins. Soon, the clearing was filled with smoke as fire came to life beneath the cast iron pot. Then, the smell of seared flesh permeated the surroundings. Late that afternoon, they sat down to a meal of fried pork and a pot of boiled pokey Emma gathered in the woods behind the barn. There was also a loaf of flatbread made from cattail flour. Tobias said, Lord, thank ye for the vittles. Amen. Then he said, Ain't much to be thankful for, is it? It's food, Emma said. But I sure wish we could get some cornmeal. A pone of cornbread would go good with some fresh swab cabbage. What I hanker for is beef, Tobias said, chewing hard on the tough pork. A roast as big as a saddle blanket. Zex done growed up without tasting beef, and a boy like him needs beef to make him strong. Hog is fine for me, Papa, Zex said, helping himself to another spoonful of pokey greens. That's because you ain't had nothing better. If I had knowed we would be so hard here, I might have stayed in Georgia. We gotta catch us a dog. If I just had a catch dog, I could round up some wild cows and start a herd. I need a horse, too. A horse ain't worth nothing in pulling wagon through this sandy soil, but you sure can't catch cows without a horse and a dog, and a dog would help keep the garments away from here at night. They ate in silence for a moment, and then Emma said, It will all come in time, Tobias. We're not that bad off. We can make do till times get better for us. The Lord will look over us. Well, I don't believe the Lord would like us to live all winter on nothing but coons, meat and swamp cabbage. I gotta have a horse and a dog, and some more powder, and shot to make shells. I can trap coons and trade the hides, but I can't trap a gator. You gotta shoot him. And the man at the trading post told me he would pay a dollar fifty for alligator hides. I bet there's a thousand of them in the creek just waiting to be shot and skinned. Maybe we could kill them with an axe, Zex said, becoming excited at the thought of hunting alligators. Son, you hit a gator on the head with an axe, he'd just grab the handle and eat the whole thing. Then you finish up his meal with both of your legs. You gotta shoot a gator to kill him. So for now, we'll have to make do with coon hides. Maybe I've got enough of them tacked to the barn to get us some real flour and some cornmeal too. And also a pound of coffee. I done forgot how it tastes. I'll go over to the trading post by the end of the week and swap all I have. Tomorrow, I'll cut some cypress poles and start building a pen for the cows. Somehow or another, I'm going to get me a dog and a horse. <laughs>